Today's readings from Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 14 and verse 18. We'll be reading from the New International Version. In the time of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah, who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, was Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all of the Lord's commands and decree blamelessly. But they were childless, because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by Lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and they will, many will rejoice because of his birth. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. Oh, hi there. I'm Zechariah. It's my job to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. This one day, I show up for work as usual, and out of nowhere, boom, an angel appears. This angel goes on to say the most ridiculous things. God has heard your prayers, and guess what? They've been answered. Really, I think to myself. He goes on and says, your wife Elizabeth is going to have a baby boy, and you are going to name him John. Now, I'm confused, but he goes on. And he says that my son would be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he was born. And he would turn the people to the Lord and prepare the people for the Lord. Now, to be honest, this should be mentioned that I'm freaking out. It's, I'm listening to every word, but here's the thing. My wife and me, yeah, let's just say we're a little past our prime childbearing years. So in my wisdom, I bring this up and say, you know, hey, us having a kid, it just isn't possible. And Gabriel, well, he let me know that questioning a messenger of God isn't a good idea. From that moment forward, I was mute. Me? Mute. That's when I realized this was the real deal. And just like the angel said, I remained silent until my son was born and we named him John. I look back and I see that I had lost hope of ever being a father. But on that day, God restored my hope. Today marks the first Sunday of Advent. In this season, we light the first candle, the candle of hope. Welcome to the first Sunday in Advent. It's good to be together in this space as we again enter into this age-old wonderful story preparing ourselves for the birth of Jesus. Today, we light the candle of hope in a story that is new and yet ancient. You know, we all love stories, especially familiar ones. I remember when our oldest was young, she had a book that we read over and over and over. 
Every pet is a special friend. We had it memorized. It was a favorite and familiar story. Our grandchildren, when they come to our house too, grab the, seem to grab the same books off the shelf. Some of their favorites are I Know a Rhino or The Giving Tree. And even for myself, there have been stories that I come back to. I've been rereading a story series, the Gilead series, from an author named Marilyn Robinson. A wonderful immersion into one family story in a certain time. You see, stories invite us in. Stories help us to look clearly at characters and find out what grand scheme, what grand plans are unearthed in a story. And so today we begin with this familiar story, the Advent series, narratives of real people who ushered in the greatest event in human history, the incarnation of Jesus Christ, God becoming human. We rightly point to Jesus. Jesus is the main point of all these stories. And yet, and yet every single story that weaves into his story is significant. And I think we'll find that includes you and I. Now we remember that Jesus coming to earth was divinely planned by God, and yet he worked it out in the lives of normal people, normal places. And so that's what we're going to do during this Advent time. We're going to enter the stories of real people, people who are looking for hope. And I think we'll be able to recognize in their stories some of our own stories as we look for hope. You know, sometimes the plans of God can seem like a theological abstraction until we see that real people like you and I are invited to fit into it. In their own words, that's what we're going to be calling this series. And because we're going to be talking to, in a sense, sitting down with men and women who first heard this story. We're going to see how they responded, what they felt, what they heard, what they saw. And this week, we heard already from Zechariah. You know, from the very beginning, God's plan had divine involvement with flesh and blood people. And in this story, we see that God has a design God has a time, God has a place, and God has a couple to usher in his salvation plan for humanity. You know, most of the recording we get about Jesus' infancy comes from our brother Luke in his gospel. He wasn't an eyewitness, but he tells us as he starts his uh, gospel account that he carefully investigated everything from the beginning. That's in Luke 1, 3. It seems Luke went to the original sources and sat down and listened to their stories, what they'd experienced firsthand. And so Luke has more material on the birth of Jesus than any other gospel. And the details, they draw us in. The characters connect with us and they set the stage for what's coming next. So today's text from Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 5. Luke sets his story in its political and religious context. We first hear that it's when Herod was king of Judea. This is near the end of Herod's reign in Judea, and 
Herod was known to be a ruthless king. He, in fact, had members of his own household killed in order to hold on to power. So it was a politically tenuous time with this kind of a ruler on the throne. And then the religious context. We are introduced to a couple who are from the priestly line of Aaron, Aaron, Moses' brother. The priests had been attending to the needs of God's people and the service in the temple for centuries. And we also know that this was a time where God had been silent for many years. There had been no prophet speaking out the words of God, even as the priests continued to serve in the temple and the people continued to offer sacrifices. But for 400 years, God had been silent. No prophet raised up to speak God's word to the people. Had God forgotten? Had his promises failed? You know, sometimes our own stories ask those questions, and we can look at our stories in the same way. Our stories, which happen in a certain time, 2020 is a memorable time for all of us, all that happened in this year, a specific place where God has placed you and I, and among a specific people. God's story is always particular, even as it has a grand plan. And so we have this setup for the story of the birth of John. And yes, he comes out in this uh, rest of Luke as kind of the main character pointing ahead to Jesus. But as with any life story, it's not just about the end results. It's, this is also a personal story with two righteous people who had faced disappointment in their life. The story gives us indication that God is looking at every detail and reaching out to an older couple to offer some fresh hope. So we look at this good news of God through the eyes of Zechariah, who had faced deep disappointment. So what does the text tell us about Zechariah in Luke chapter 1? What do we know? Well, we know, as, you, as I said, he was a priest. He and his wife both claim a heritage in the priestly line. And Zechariah is connected to the priest Abijah. Back in David's times, the priests were divided into 24 divisions, and Abijah was the leader of one of them. And this is the line from which Zechariah comes. We also hear that he's righteous. He's an upright man. He and his wife both are known to be observant of God law, God's laws. They were blameless. Doesn't mean without sin, but as people looked at their lives, there was more righteousness than not. We also know that this was an important time in Zechariah's career as a priest. You see, it was only one week, two times a year, that the priests actually came into Jerusalem to serve at the temple. But, you know, there were so many priests by that time that they had to choose by lot, by lottery, who was going to go into the temple to attend to the lighting and offering of incense. So this might have happened only once in a priest's career. This was Zechariah's moment. And he went into the temple and offered the evening prayers as he lit the incense by the altar. 
Now, it may seem that it, the timing for Zechariah's presence in the temple was random because it was chosen by lottery. But we can look back and see it was actually orchestrated by God to bring fresh hope, fresh hope into a household, but also fresh hope into the whole nation and the world. You know, God's timing can be seen here. And God's timing may be different than ours, but it is infinitely wiser. Maybe the most telling thing we hear about Zechariah, though, is that he was childless. The one thing lacking in his heritage is a child. Perhaps he'd long ago given up on this dream that God would give he and Elizabeth a life that had the flourishing and joy of children. You know, the good things in his life perhaps could never quite make up for that huge, empty space. It was something that was less. Have you ever felt the less, the lesser parts of your own life as perhaps the most significant thing about you? Something that's missing, a dream that's unrealized, a disappointment, a hope unfulfilled. You know, we use that term less in, in many ways and it actually often points to pain. Think of the terms, childless, jobless, homeless, friendless, hopeless, without a secure future, without a beloved spouse, without enough funds, without less disappointments. But God is not indifferent to those less parts of your life or of mine. He knows what we're facing. And he, as we're going to hear from Zechariah's life, he hears our prayers about them. So it's in the middle of the void in this couple's life that God's sovereign plan suddenly breaks through. He steps in when it seems like it's too late. As Dan told us earlier in the story of Zechariah, this couple was too old. They'd resigned themselves to this disgrace in their life of not having children. They'd settled in and suddenly the angel of God, a messenger of God appears to them and changes the direction of their past disappointments. And what was this angel Gabriel's message? Your prayers have been heard. Your prayers have been heard. How many times had Zechariah and Elizabeth prayed together in their home? Had they kept praying over all these years? Or had they given up hope to pray for a child, but kept praying for a Messiah that would come and give hope to their nation? Maybe all those years of piled up prayers had waned some, but God had heard them and God had intervened. So whether they were continuous prayers or decades old, God hears, God un- understands and attends to our prayers. And this is a reminder to all of us, all of us who pray and, and wonder, when will God intervene? Maybe you've prayed for a long time for something and you haven't seen an answer, and you begin to wonder if God really cares. You begin to doubt, maybe just in small ways, that God is really for you, for the, 
for your life and your place in the world. So in Zachariah's story, we get a message of hope for all of us who face unanswered prayers in those less parts of our story. Your prayers have been heard. That's the good news to Zechariah. And for Zechariah, the promised child answers two prayers, both for a child to fill their home and their hearts, and the prayer for God to begin bringing redemption to his people, Israel, filling their home, an up-close and personal answer to prayer, and then preparing the way for God's good news, a grand and glorious answer to prayer. So what was Zachariah's response? Well, he freaked out. That's what Dan told us earlier as he told us Zachariah's story. He was not just afraid of the sight of this majestic, powerful being, this angel who came with this news, but he asked him when he heard the news that they were going to have a child, how can this be? How can I be sure? Perhaps Zechariah's answer shows that he'd long ago quit expecting much of God. Yes, he did his priestly duty and he diligently followed God's commandments, but he may have lost some of his fervor for God. You see, the circumstances of Zechariah's life didn't hold out much hope for a child. And so when he expresses doubt to this angel's words, he reveals that the circumstances of life had been the foremost thing in his mind and what God could do had been forgotten. Sometimes underestimating God is as dangerous as outright rebellion to God. And what were the consequences of, of Zachariah's unbelief? A long time of silence. His voice was taken away. And I wonder if in those months of forced silence, God did a deeper work in Zechariah's life and deepened his faith. Being voiceless probably allowed him to listen more deeply and to attend to the things of God more fully. You know, we can compare this response where Zechariah doubted to later in the story, his response later. You can read about it in Luke 1, beginning at verse 57. And it happened nine months later, after this boy had been born into their household and they were getting ready to circumcise him. John was eight days old and the neighbors and the relatives were gathered around to share in this couple's joy, ready to circumcise him, to usher him in and mark him as part of God's covenant people. And Elizabeth repeats what Zechariah had written to her much earlier, that the angel had told them this child's name should be John. Now, Zechariah is no longer swayed by the objections of others who can't understand why they're going to name him an, a name that is nowhere in their family line. He's completely certain now that all of what the angel had told him would come to pass. And still, without the ability to speak, he takes up a tablet and writes again, his name is John. And as soon as he writes it, his mouth is opened and out come words of praise, words of exalting God 
the spirit breaks through, through hopeful, prophetic words. You can read this prayer, this song there in Luke chapter one. You know, it's one of four songs that Luke includes in the narrative of Jesus' birth. One is Mary's song. This one, Zachariah's song. The angel's song to the shepherds. And then Simeon's song when he meets the infant Jesus in the temple at his dedication. And in each of these songs, we see themes and phrases borrowed from the prophets, borrowed from the scripture that suddenly begin to make sense to these people. And they, through the spirit, exude praise to God. This one is often called the Benedictus, Zechariah's prayer, because of how it begins, blessed Benedictus, blessed be, from, uh, from Luke chapter 1, 67 and 68, it says this, his father, John's father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, praise be to the Lord, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. And then later he says, making it personal in verse, in a later verse, and you, my child, you, my child will be called a prophet of the most high for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. Zechariah's voice is loosened. His tongue is breaks through in praise and his song weaves together all the hopes of Israel all his own hopes of fatherhood in praise for God's intervention. After 400 years of silence, after a childless couple, decades of disappointment, and after nine months of being voiceless, Zachariah speaks and God's hope and plan breakthrough. So what's the message for us? What can Zechariah's story teach us? Well, one thing we have to say at the get-go is that God never guarantees that we won't face pain and disappointment in our lives. Like Zechariah, you may have longed for, prayed for something for years and years. And there's real disappointment in this. But the issue is not how disappointed we are, but how we handle that. Do we become bitter and resentful and turn our back on God? Do we see ourselves as perpetual victims, stuck in unfair circumstances? Or can we, can we learn, perhaps as Zechariah did with his in his time of silence, that we can develop a robust faith a deeper faith that develops into more fully leaning into God and his plans for our story. You know, that kind of response, a response of faith, even in disappointment, allows us to be open to the kind of fulfillment, the kind of new work that God might have for us that we might not have considered otherwise. Can we wait and can we trust God's timing? And could it be that what looks like a roadblock or closed door could actually be an opportunity for redirection, for a fresh turn down the road. Sometimes we are deprived of something 
because God has something uniquely different and better down the road. I was reminded in hearing Zachariah's story this week of the story of Johnny Erickson Tata. You may have heard her story. At the age of 17, full of life, full of dreams, Johnny went for a swim with friends. And unknowingly, she took a dive that was way too shallow and didn't come back up to the surface. Her sister went to her and pulled her to safety. And when she got to the hospital, they found that Johnny was paralyzed from the shoulders down. 17 years old, Johnny was facing a life as a quadriplegic. She'd never be married. She'd never have children. Only the less things seemed to stand out to her. But since that devastating accident back in 1967, Johnny has gone on to find hope, even in the middle of devastating disappointment. She learned to paint by holding a brush in her mouth and sold and used her artwork to earn money. She founded a ministry for the disabled called Johnny and Friends. She became a speaker and an author, having written over 40 books. And she and her husband, Ken, have been married for 38 years. And they continue, even in the midst of continuing disappointments and struggles, they continue to bring hope to others. Johnny says this in one of her books, Pain and Providence. God's hands stay on the wheel of your life from start to finish so that everything follows his intention for your life. This means your trials have more meaning, much more than you realize. So like Zechariah, our doubt, our, our faith might be stretched. We might have doubts because of the many disappointments but we take our disappointments to God. And we also take our rejoicing to God, as Zechariah did, because I believe both are expressions of faith. To be real about the things where you feel less and to turn into praise when you see God intervene. Zechariah's story reminds us that God often speaks most direct, dramatically in those places that are difficult in our lives when we're feeling less. Yes, Zachariah and Elizabeth wanted a child. And at the right time and for the right purposes, God gave them not just a child, but a prophet. God gave them the one who was going to prepare the way for the greatest hope of all mankind, Jesus Christ himself. Later in Jesus' ministry, he points to the unique greatness of John and his birth. In Luke 7, 28, Jesus says, I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Jesus points to the wonder of John's birth. And I think for Zechariah, he points to the wonder of God's intervention as well. We've heard it in his own words. Zachariah's story, reminding us that God meets us in the circumstances of our lives, even in the disappointments of our lives. He's not indifferent to your times of lessness. 
He's not unaware of the timing of your life. God's timing, God's tender mercies are always good, always wise. And we can trust as we look at Advent stories and hear something from their own words that God looks at our lives too and has a grand purpose, something that we're invited to join in, even during this Advent season. If you've never made a choice to intersect your story with the story of Jesus Christ, you can do so this Advent season. Jesus stands ready to meet you, to invite you into a place of hope, whatever you're facing this day. And as we light this candle of hope during this Advent season, let's remember God is meeting us in our stories as well. I invite you to pray with me. Lord, as we look on this candle of hope, flickering yet boldly shining forth, we stand with Zachariah, recognizing those places of disappointment in our own lives and leaning into your timing, to your purposes, with faith that you see the bigger picture and you will do what you intend to do that will bring joy to us and hope to others as well. May this be part of our Advent rejoicing. We pray this through your name, the God of hope. Amen.